This is 1 in 44, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. 1 in 44 is a weekly show devoted to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to 1 in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And this morning, I am really excited to be speaking to our guest, Brittany D'Angelo. Brittany, good morning. Hi, good morning. How are we doing today? We are doing well. Uh, It is April. We are right in it with uh, Autism Awareness and Autism Acceptance Month. Absolutely. uh, I'm really happy to have you on the show. Some of our listeners might know you by name already. because you certainly have made a name for yourself and uh, <laughs> being on Big Brother, but also, you know, just all of the the media attention that you've received and your, I guess, the way you've embraced that and, and uh, done a lot of sort of advocacy from your own personal experiences um, has been really exciting. So, uh, again, I'm thrilled Thank to have you so you much. Talk. I'm going to hand it over to you, Brittany. Why don't you tell us about yourself? Go as far back as you want. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, firstly, Eliza, it is just an honor to even be on the show with you. And just thank you so much for the kind words. Um, it's still, I still pinch myself and I'm like, oh, I did do that. Like I did go on big brother. I did live in that house for three months. That did happen. Um, but no, so a little bit about me. My name is Brittany D'Angelo. I am currently 24 years old, living in Niagara Falls, New York. Um, but if you see me on my Instagram, I'm probably not in Buffalo most of the time because I've been traveling a lot, which has been really, really cool. Um, but to tell a little bit about my story when I was 22 months old, I was diagnosed with autism. Um, right from the time that I was born, like I would not recognize, like when somebody would walk in the door, I would not look to the person at the door. Um, the only thing that I was actually receptive to in the first two years of my life was music. Um, funny enough. So for me, music was like my outlet of like, I would be able to connect through music, even though I wasn't talking at that point, that was my connection point. Um, and then, but no, I, I wouldn't recognize people as they walked through the doors. I was basically, as my mother and father like to put it, I was in Britney's world. And Britney's world meant that I didn't even know it was my first birthday. I was just confused. Like, I didn't know what a birthday meant because it was just like, mm, what's going on? Like, why are people around me? And also, like I said, I wasn't talking. I was nonverbal, no eye contact, no social cues and repetitive stems. That's how I was diagnosed. Um, from there, I had 40 hours a week of applied behavioral analysis therapy from ages two to five, as well as five hours of speech. So that was given to me by um, the Summit Center, which is in Buffalo, New York. Absolutely incredible therapy. I cannot believe my therapy was 23 years ago. Absolutely incredible therapy for me. I think ABA definitely depends on who you are if you need ABA. But for me, ABA was the answer. And I could not have had better therapists to help me become Brittany. And it's, it's so crazy now, Eliza, because obviously we know in the autism community, there's a lot of back and forth in terms of ABA acceptance, but it's crazy to me too, because my ABA was so long ago that like my ABA, when I hear people talk about it, I'm like, okay, well, I don't remember any of my ABA in WISC because I was two to five. So I remember very little of it, but from what my parents have told me about my ABA, it's the exact opposite of what people experience in my head. I'm like, okay, maybe it's where I got the therapy from, or maybe my therapists were just incredible. But like, I still, I mean, I still talk to my therapist today. They watched me on the show. They, they were huge fans. They were like, no, Brittany can't get evicted. And I'm like, it's okay, fam. Um, but like, I, I just, I still talk to them on a regular basis since then. So, so maybe I just was fortunate enough to have a really amazing experience with it. And my family had a really amazing experience with it. Um, but past ABA, so that was for two to five. Um, I had a full-time aide with me until first grade. And then from that point on, I was, I was doing pretty well academically, um, pretty above average, but maturity wise, I was definitely years behind. So if I was seven, I had a maturity of like a four or five year old. So I was definitely around two to three years behind. Um, fourth grade, I was accepted into the enrichment program in the Niagara Falls City School District. So that was really exciting for me. Um, but that was the year that my teacher was like, you know what, Brittany, like, you know what, honestly, you know what, Kathy, my mother, 
Brittany needs testing accommodations. Like she, she can't take a test in a room with everybody else. She's not succeeding. And they, they observed me. And then I was developed a 504 plan where I get separate testing. I get time and a half testing and then I get to sub vocalize. Cause if I don't hear it, I don't get it. And I still have those accommodations to this day, even taking all my teacher certification exams in New York. I still get all of those. I still get a separate room. I still get time and a half and I still get to hear myself talk. Ah, so, okay. All right. So I still, I still get that to this day. Um, and so, which is awesome. Cause I got that all throughout high school, all throughout college. Um, there were some bumps in the road in terms of like, I was denied for accommodations a couple of times, like for the SATs, they actually denied me outright. And then I had to retest to get my accommodations back for the SATs. So (laughs) thank you. Glad I got them. Um, But no, then from there, fourth grade went and then obviously all throughout middle school and high school um, did very well academically finished um, either second or third in middle school out of the class. And then in high school, I finished seventh with like a 97 point something, something GPA. Um, And then in college, I went to Niagara University, graduated uh, with a perfect 4.0 GPA over two degrees. So I graduated with a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Theater Performance, a Bachelor of Arts in Communications and Media Studies, and a minor in American Sign Language and Deaf Studies. Um, Mm -hmm. Did all of that in four years. Don't ask me how we did it. Um, (laughs) But my parents' rule was, if you're going to major in theater, you need to major in something else with it. So that's why communications came about. (laughs) So I was like, I mean, it made sense. but, But also, I really think that my communications training has helped me so much too. So I'm, I'm so glad that I ended up doing both, but I actually broke history in Niagara university for being the first winner of both major awards at graduation. So there's the Niagara medal where all of the seniors vote on who represents Niagara university the best. I won that award. And then I also won valedictorian. So no one's won both awards in the same hundred and t- in the, in the same year in 162 year history of Niagara to this day. So I'm the only one that's done it. Um, and then I took a year off of college after that because I got a contract with Missoula Children's Theater out in Missoula, Montana. I was teaching at the largest children's touring theater company in the country where I went to a different town every week, taught children from five to 18 years old, a new musical in a week time. Mm-hmm. And that was such a different experience for me because that was the first time I was ever going to be away from home. And I had always lived at home, even through college. And that was something that was so nerve wracking for me was like, how, how am I going to live like not with my family? And it was only me and my tour partner. How am I going to do this for a, a year? How for however long my contract was? Um, definitely showed that I had a really good independence, and it, it, I I did it obviously. So that was huge. But there were so many doubts in my mind of taking that trip because of the fact of like how how do I live without my rock? Like my mother's my rock. I do everything with her. How do I live without my mother by my side? Um, and so did that contract for a year, got laid off in 2020, March of 2020 due to COVID. And then I thought to myself, well, I'm sitting here and I have nothing else to do. Master's degree. So I many master's degrees, <laughs> right? No, right, exactly. So there was the beginning of my first, actually, I'll start my second master's in the fall. So okay. I'm very excited for that. So first master's degree is in early childhood and childhood education. So I'm certified birth to two, one to six, special ed one to six in theater education, K to 12. Um, so those are my four certs. Um, but I started that master's in May of 2020 because I had nothing else to do. And it was an online program. And I was like, well, I always wanted this master's anyways, because I knew I would teach eventually. Okay. Um, and so let's go get it. And then now we're here. Oh, I mean, then I did big brother. That and happened. Brother, we're going to get back to that. What are you or, doing? Yeah, we'll get that. Let's, let's finish where you were going. What are you doing now? So now I am. So I work, a, I wear a lot of different hats. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I am a building-based sub, so I substitute in grades two through six at a local school in Niagara Falls. Okay. Um, I am, so which is awesome because I'm able to like see what classrooms and what specialties I want to teach in next year if I get my own room. Okay. Um, I still work a retail job because I love my discount way too much at where I work. Um, I'm a dance teacher at a local dance studio in the falls as well. I teach musical theater and I assist in Tabernacro. And then I am now a social media influencer. So I do brands for different companies. I dance for positivity on all apps and I have a lot of fun. That's great. Yeah. What a story. <laughs> My gosh. Okay. Thank you for taking us through that. So, um, so I, uh, I'm just looking at the time. Why don't we, why don't you go back to the big brother piece and yeah. introduce that. And then in the second half of the show, I'm going to take you all the way back to the beginning of where you started. Cause I have a question from the beginning and we'll, and okay. we'll do it all the way, but, but impressive yeah. and congratulations on all your accomplishments. Thank you so much. Um, and, and your enthusiasm with which you share. That's great. Um, thank you. Did you, you did do big brother. Tell us. I did do big brother. That happened. Um, no, you know what, Eliza, it's so funny. Cause I always think to myself, man, I did, I really do that, but I did. Um, but it, just because it just, it really like Big Brother's been my dream game to play ever since I was 18 years old. And the fact that I got to live out my dream this past summer was so cool. But no, I, this was the second time that I applied was for Big Brother 23. Big Brother 22, I applied as well, got to the semifinals, but then they cut everyone and made it an all-star season because of COVID. So okay. that's why I was cut. And then Big Brother 23, I was like, you know what? I wasn't even thinking of really applying, Eliza, to be honest with you. But I was like, you know what? Like, I just finished my finals. I'll, I'll apply as like a congratulations you got for this semester gift to myself. So I put in a video and it was me in front of my Christmas tree sharing everything that I just shared with you. And I was like, well, maybe they'll like this. Um, Mm -hmm. Sent the video on December 17th, heard back from them on the 26th of February. And from that point on, 12 interviews later and a lot of paperwork, I got a spot and it was so cool. They came to my hometown and we were shooting at the Niagara Falls and we just thought they were doing like a test shoot with me of like, oh, we just want to see how you look on camera. Little did I know that I was already in the 16 at that point. And so for me, I mean, it was just so surreal, like flying out to L.A., not being able to talk to my family at all, like no contact with anyone in the outside world. Yeah, that was I mean, Eliza, that was the most difficult part. And that was almost the part that deterred me from doing the experience in the first place. Like that was the one point where like we had to sit down with like all of like just and and talk to them and be like, look, I don't know how I'm going to do this but I want to do this experience. So how, how can we make this work? Um, and obviously I wasn't allowed to talk to my family. Like that was just not a role that was going to be given away. Cause I could not have any access to the outside world. Um, but I found little, little solace points in being able to talk to them through their live feeds. Cause I knew they would watch. And I was like, mom and dad, like if you're watching this, I love you. And this is everything that's happening today. So we did this. And like, I would just go yeah. through the list like once a day. Um, but big brother was a dream come true. It was such an incredible experience. I loved every single second of it, even though I was the pawn. Um, but I never felt like the pawn, but like, I mean, just the fact that like I got to jump through my TV screen and play all the competitions that I've been watching on my TV screen for so years, long. Yeah. for so long. And like, I won one of the most iconic competitions. The, the punishment competition competition was the one that I won. And it was, it was just like a dream come true. Like I was living in a dream fantasy, even though I was on the block and I saw my face on the memory mall so many times yeah jesus um but like it was so it was so rewarding it was so much fun and then more than anything it just it it allowed me to share something that i've never really shared publicly before being my autism diagnosis and a lot of people ask me well why did you share it on this show and my answer to them was i have never felt more secure and comfortable in myself than i am now Mm -hmm. and i thought to myself why not like why not now now would be the perfect time to share it 
I just started sharing it in a collegiate atmosphere to some of my close friends. Mm-hmm. Cause obviously I, I've always been scared of sharing my diagnosis for fear that I would be looked at really differently and, or for fear that I would just be looked at as someone who needs help instead of just Brittany. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, I mean, I've only had an insane response even coming off of the show. And I, I just, I feel so grateful that I was able to share my story, but I always tell people, it's not just about my story. It's about everyone's. It's about allowing people to, to learn more about autism because so many people don't know anything about it. You either know what autism is or you have absolutely no clue. And then you try and fake it like you do, but it just doesn't work that way. Like autism is just not something you can fake. I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you right there, but I think um, that's, that's a great place to take a quick break, but I love what yeah. you said a second ago about, you know, why not share in the place and in, in that moment when you felt the most confident and secure in yourself. So yeah, it's a really cool message. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We're already halfway through. When we come back, we're going to dive into a few more of these things in more detail. So awesome. this is- one in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. You've heard it said, he's a diamond in the rough, or maybe diamonds are forever. Here's something else I've learned about diamonds. They're just pieces of coal put under pressure for a long, long, long time. So when I start feeling like I want to give up, I think about that little piece of coal. And if that piece of coal can make something of itself by not giving up, so can I. Persistence is in you. Pass it on. From passiton.com. And now, 1 in 44 continues on 100.7 WHUD. This is a weekly community affairs program presented by the Anderson Center for Autism. Welcome back to 1 in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and I'm having a great conversation today with Brittany D'Angelo. Um, who's been telling us uh, about your real exciting life and very, um, I would say, inspiring and enthusiastic and passionate life um, for so many things, including your education. So congratulations again on all of your Thank you. there. And of course, living your dream of uh, being on Big Brother, which um, is very Ooh. cool. So many people just don't have the opportunity to live their dream. Um, and that that was great. Um So on the second half, I want to go back to something you said early on, Brittany, um, about you were diagnosed with autism at age 22 months, pretty young. Um, But you commented that music was the one sort of piece that connected you to other people and to maybe the world around you, because you were, as you said, your parents called it Brittany's world. You were sort of insular and and inside yourself in a lot of ways. Um, Was there, I said a question, was there a certain type of music that really sort of spoke to you? Yeah. So, um, my parents are huge fans of Neil Diamond. So, yeah. So Neil Diamond, um, and the Beatles were the two major, uh, bands and and musicians that I grew up listening to, especially when I was younger. But to be honest with you, Eliza, it was any type of music. If it had a backbeat and a, and a chorus and a melody, I was in, I mean, I said my first word at three and a half singing the Barney theme song, like I was singing the theme song. And then I said the word share and share was my first word. So, it's, it's crazy that like that, it's kind of like a, like a weird foreshadowing of like what my life was going to be like going yeah. forward of like sharing I was things. I say, share, you're very good at it. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> no, I mean, really you're very open. Um, and, and, it, you know, I can see your face. Our listeners won't be able to see you, but if they follow you on social media or, you know, uh, find you in other ways, it will be able to, and you have a very warm and welcoming smile. So, um, but also just your ability to share, um, and your interest in sharing things about yourself, I think is, is great. Um, so when you, when you we hear music and even now, maybe you could talk about, um, what would we imagine? Had we, had we seen you at three and a half or four years old and, and let's say a favorite song came on, 
was it immediate dancing? I know that that's been a huge part of your life for a long yeah. time. Or was it, it was, did you just gravitate towards people when the music was playing or how explain that to us? I would say, um, at least from what I've explained, because I don't remember too much about it, but I guess I can explain it in terms of then and now, because it's, it's very similar for me. Um, mm-hmm. music means movement. Music means expression. And I, I firmly believe that when I was younger, I would use music as a way to express things that I couldn't talk. Like, I think that that's the best way for me to describe it because like my, my parents have told me multiple times that when the music was on, they were connecting with me. And like, that would be a, that would be a focal point. You know what I mean? And even for me, like being able to feel the vibrations of the music in our house and be able to feel that bass. That was also probably a really nice sensory thing for me to feel because I still feel that way now. Like I love hearing the bass in my body. It's a weird thing I just do. But now as like a musician, I play four different instruments. I sing, I dance, I act like music is such a huge part of my life. Now music is my music and dance are my freest ways of expression. Mm-hmm. And like I, there are so many days where I come home and I also have perfect pitch. So I don't know if that was a, if that was, if that was a supplement of anything, but I can go home and listen to a track and in three seconds I can harmonize. Like it's that quick. Like I just know I can see yeah. it in my, yeah. I can see that track in my brain of like, I know exactly where the harmony is supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Um, reading music has been so easy for me ever since I was young. Mm-hmm. Like I've been able to sight read ever since I was in eighth grade, which is super uncommon. Like most people can't read music until they're like in college, but I was like eighth grade, I'm reading music fluently. So for me, I just, I've always had a really nice affinity to music and it's been amazing because I would not ask for it any other way. And I truly believe that my affinity to music has, has shaped me so tremendously into who I am, just allowing me to, to, to express things. Even now, even though I can speak now and I have the opportunity to do so, I still express things through dance and, and through music because I think it's so, it's, it's a universal language. Everybody doesn't speak English, but everybody speaks music. Yeah. Everybody speaks dance. So. Yeah, I was just listening to Stevie Wonder this morning. He has a song. Yes. That's the first line, right? Um, so that's, that's wild. I, I just was curious if there was something specific about the music that you heard as a, as a young child that stayed with you. Um, do you, can I ask you, do you have um, sort of visceral reactions or physical reactions if you hear maybe something that you haven't heard before or something, a, a newer piece of music versus some of those songs that you heard when you were very young that your parents played for you? Do you associate different like feelings or emotions with, with some of the old stuff versus some of the newer stuff? I mean, there's definitely that nostalgia factor of like, of like the music, like Neil, whenever Neil Diamond of the Beatles come on I'm like oh my god like I freak out because it's just like I've been listening to that literally since I was before one years old yeah so like I so for me like that's just an excitement feeling but also like there are types of music I'll be honest with you that I can't listen to like screamo can't do it like it's just that is too much sensory overload for me Mm -hmm. um there like even rap i had to really get used to Mm -hmm. but now i love rap music like i but like growing up though i had to get used to rap because rap like just for some for some it would either be like just the loudness of rap or or i don't know what it was sensory wise but i i love rap now rap's one of my favorite types of music that i get to listen to Mm -hmm. um but no i just i really get into different moods though in terms of what i'm listening to like if it's pop i'll dance but if it's like i love i've been really in like an r&b phase in the past like yep three four years i love that feeling of like that's like a soulful hip-hop-ish kind of like still got a good beat to it but it's still i don't know i just every i don't really think i have a preference to music besides the fact that i'm just not a huge fan of screamo and i will listen to country but it's very rare <laughs> um but like i but i like country um i just don't listen to it as often but no i i i really love all music i do oh, like i i don't think yeah it seems like you've worked it into a huge part of your life. Yeah. And I, I'm also interested in the connection between your your passion for and your pursuing, you know, everything related to 
performance and dance and acting and singing, but also here you are entering the world of, of um, education. Yeah. So is your is your long term goal to become a classroom teacher? like an yes. elementary school teacher. Okay. One of, one of the goals. I always say, I always tell myself that I do have more than one goal okay. always at a time. Um, but one of my goals at some point in my life is yes, to become a classroom teacher. Um, so I mean, but it's also like, I mean, the mesh between teaching and performing goes so hand in hand and it's so easy to do. I mean, the fact that I get to perform for my kids every single day. I mean, these kids, I mean, I teach in a school where 97% of our population is poverty. Like the only, like one of the only things these kids have in their lives is school. So it's my job to make sure that they come out of school with the biggest smile on their face, no matter what room I'm subbing in that day. And so for me, I mean, I think it's the best mold ever. I think performers make the, the, make excellent teachers because they are the people who understand how to engage, how Mm -hmm. to connect with the person next to you, how to connect, how to connect with the, with the student in front of you, how to take a step back from yourself and look at a bigger picture. I think that performers do an excellent job at that, but also just like teaching should be fun. Like teach, like I'm not having my kids reading books all day. I want my kids to, to engage in the learning, not only with their minds, but with their bodies. Like I want you to feel the knowledge if that makes any sense possible. Um, It It makes sense to me. I I was a teacher a long time ago, but I want to just connect with, with one of the things you just said about, um, there, I think there's definitely a correlation between being comfortable in a performance setting and being comfortable in front of people and presenting yourself and also the connection you make with uh, uh, individual students as a teacher. Yeah. I also want to say this because we we're coming down on, on the last couple of minutes and I'd love to get your opinion on this. There are people listening and there are certainly people, as you said before, who don't know a whole lot about autism or could certainly stand to learn more. There is still a misconception, I think, out there that people with autism do not want to connect. And so here you are, a person who's uh, self-disclosed that you have an autism diagnosis. You've obviously gone through a tremendous growth experience from when you were a young child. And now you're in a position where you just said yourself that one of your favorite things about being in the classroom is making a one-on-one personal connection with your students. Absolutely. What do you think about the fact that like... I don't know, just your com- any comment you have about somebody who, who is out there who, who might be thinking that a child who's non-vocal or can't make eye contact right now just is saying, I don't, you know, is communicating, I don't want to connect with people. Was that anything that you, you have opinions on? I mean, I, I mean, absolutely. I think, I mean, I know there's so many stigmas that exist in the autism community in terms of what we, what we can or cannot do or what we, what we like and what we don't like. And I, I feel like the best thing that I can say about that is, human beings inherently want to connect. It doesn't matter if you have a disability or not. Human beings inherently connect with other human beings. That's how relationships are built. That's how, that's how knowledge is transferred is through connections. That's how, like, that's how love is built is through connections. And so for me, what I would say to that comment is those that are on the autistic spectrum and those living in the neurodivergent community connect in different ways. And just because they can't speak or they can't look at you does not mean that they're not striving for that connection. All humans need connection of some kind. Mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer in that. When I wasn't talking, my connection was music. Mm-hmm. My connection was my mother loving me and hugging me and and always talking to me because I could still understand. It wasn't like I wasn't understanding what she was telling me. I just couldn't vocalize it back when I wasn't looking at her. That wasn't meaning that I didn't want that. I didn't love my mother. It was I didn't know how to I, I didn't know how to connect with my eyes. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to connect with my speech. But that doesn't mean that I didn't need human connection growing up. That human connection makes makes all the world of a difference. I mean, human, like I said, human beings need to connect. But what I would say is I don't care who it is in in terms of whether or not, whether you have a disability or not, never give up on somebody in terms of connecting, please connect with them. 
just because they it would it would be me saying that all of my friends who are hard of hearing or deaf, I can't communicate with them because they can't hear. Right. Or I can't connect with them because they can't hear. That's that's wrong. I can absolutely connect with all of my friends who I have that are deaf or hard of hearing. I can just connect with them in different ways. Yeah. It doesn't have to be through speaking. I know sign language. I can connect with them through their language. You know what I mean? It's just it's the willingness to learn and it's the willingness to step out of a comfort zone and be like, you know what? People connect in different ways. How does this person connect? How does this person connect? It's just it's, it's, it's it becomes individualistic, but it's so important to, to make that an individualistic conversation if it has to be. I love that. Brittany, I, I am sad to say that we're just about out of time, but I think we're ending no. On, no, I know, but I think we're ending on a beautiful note. I loved all the things that you just said at the end there. Um, if we're not connecting, what are we doing? And exactly. Uh, and, and, and making something individualized is, is not impossible. In fact, it's, it's what leads to love and, and creates love and relationships and, and connectivity throughout all of us. So I, I really appreciate everything you shared. I know it goes by quick, um, but maybe we can have the chance to talk again. And no, I, please, I, I would love to- that. Uh, so, so you, people can find you, right? People can find you pretty easily. Oh, yeah. You're yes. all over social media. Um, it's Brittany D'Angelo. And uh, if you look her up, you'll find all the different places where you can follow what she's doing. And Brittany, thank you so much for the time today. And really all the best in uh, luck to you um, in your future and all the things that you're working on, all of your many goals. I, uh, thank you. It sounds to me like your future remains very, very bright. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And like you said, everyone can find me at Brittany underscore D'Angelo. We also, I also am headlining a huge fundraiser for the organization who did my therapy growing up, the Summit Center in Buffalo. Huge fundraiser. The link is in my bio. If you want to donate, we're giving away a ton of prizes for it as well. Um, Just to do something in this autism acceptance month to give back to the organization that made Brittany, Brittany. So wonderful. Thank you. Yes. Check that all out online. And uh, thank you. This is one in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski. And remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to one in 44, a weekly presentation of the Anderson Center for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at this time next weekend.